Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode sesquicentennial plus one of Linux in the Ham Shack. Yeah, I just had to get that word in there one more time. So, anyway, this is number 151, and I'm your host, Russ, K5TUX, and uh, all the way from Montreal, Canada, we have Beat, V2XPL, on the other end of the phone. Good day, eh? Good day. Back bacon, eh? <laughs> bacon. And we also have Cheryl sitting across from me. Hello, everyone. All right. I think we are ready to do a show. And since I don't feel like talking right away, who wants to read the first story? This this is our amateur radio segment, by the way. I don't know that we keep mentioning that, but we do amateur radio topics first. So who wants to hit the first one? This is a nice fluffy topic for uh, the top of the show. <laughs> oh, I guess I could do it. Okay, go for it. There you go. Fluffy. Sure. Fluffy. Yay, fluffy. I'm I'm fluffy. Um, we'll tackle the death after. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so anyway, our first story is the fact that Hamvention 2015 numbers are in, and the article read that I found that it was hard to argue with the numbers. The recent attendance report from the Hamvention held in May at the Hare Arena Complex certainly gives the sponsoring groups some bragging rights. The official head count of 25,621 folks is an increase of 748 over last year and an impressive climb of 1,079 attendees over the 2013 event. Their actual peak attendance was back in 1993 when 33,669 amateurs were on hand. After 1996, when the date of the annual event was changed from April to May, attendance varied from year to year. However, they've clearly grown. Wow, I'm having trouble. You're having problems. I'm, I'm having problems, yeah. And its profile is the world's largest gathering of hams and has become a magnet for amateur operators from around the globe. Success breeds only more success, and organizers have already set May 20th through the 22nd for Hamvention Weekend in 2016. All right. Yay. See, Yay. told you, nice, fluffy. Those are good numbers, though. They are Glad very good that. numbers. Uh, I- Nobody I can't even imagine 33,000. Nobody's going anymore. Oh, my God. It's horrible. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I cannot imagine 33,000 people in that building. Well, it's not like they're all in the building at the same time. Unless it rains. No, no, no. I understand. Well, yeah, unless it rains. <laughs> I understand that, no, but, nice. you know, it's still a chaotic madhouse. Yeah, well, a chaotic yeah. madhouse is good. It's good for the people who are there to sell and, and talk and do things. Yeah, yeah, it's sure. all good fun. You bump into a bunch of people you know, so yep. you don't know. All right, well, let's move on from the Hamvention numbers. Oh, and by the way, if you didn't catch that, May 20th through the 22nd, 2016. And with any luck, Linux and the Hamshack will be at Hamvention 2016. Yay. Yay. <laughs> and with any luck, Pete will be with us. Yay. Perhaps. Perhaps. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought uh, you guys had given up on that. No, uh, I'd still like to have you there. It would be great. It'd be great not if Cheryl didn't have to sit there and look like a dumb oh, the idiot. A? He's not talking about ham bench. <laughs> oh. All right. Since we have a damn furner on the show, why don't you read the one about the the next story, which is about damn furners? 
but I'm not British. No, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> You're still a damn burner. <laughs> All right. Uh, UK government holds up export of early amateur radio-related TV archive. Yeah, when I was reading this one, I thought it was uh, quite interesting. But here goes. Most en- encyclopedias say that the first transatlantic television transmission took place via the Telstar 1 satellite in 1962. But... TV images actually crossed the Atlantic in the late 1920s via amateur radio. Yay! Yay! <laughs> According to historical accounts. An archive of documents and other... Sorry, I might have uh, boomed that. I'm so excited. An archive of documents and other material related to that event from television pioneer John Logie Baird and his colleague Benjamin Clapp, G2KZ, say, uh, they are, they say it's at risk of being exported. The government doesn't want to see it leave Britain. Clapp's two-kilowatt transmitter was used to send the crude images to a receiver station in New York City. The archives include some of his amateur radio logbooks as well as a hand telegraph key for those of you who are key aficionados. Uh, UK Culture Minister John Vaisley has declined to issue an export license in an effort to prevent the historic archive from leaving the UK. So that's pretty cool. Vasey based his decision to bar the possible export of the item on a recommendation by the Reviewing Committee on the Export and Works of Art and Objects of Cultural Interest, or the RCEWA, and everybody knew that one, administered by the Arts Council of England. So they say the uh, Columbia Disc and the notes connected with the uh, world's first of the transatlantic video recording represents British ingenuity and invention at the highest level. Uh, the note contains the first ever use of the acronym TV for television. Ooh, that's interesting. The excitement of the achievement rests on these objects, which we hope will, will remain in this country as a permanent testament to Logi Baird and his team. So their departure abroad, of course, would be a serious loss to scholarship. So that's a, an, an ARRL uh, story. You guys can uh, check out the uh, show notes or go on the ARRL's website and uh, look that up. That was kind of interesting, and I, I'm actually glad that they are trying to keep that where it originated from because it seems like that's the place where it should be. It's its home. I, I find that the uh, the British seem to have more of a veterance for older things due to the uh, old, much older history of the of the country, of course. Well, yes, of so, course. But, uh, yeah, that's so very cool. for that. Because yep. I think in Canada, they just say, yeah, toss it. There's there's a lot more to the story. There's things about $50,000 costs and matching donations and all of that. But, of course, if you want to read the whole story, you can just get it from the ARRL. Uh, this is kind of interesting for those who follow amateur radio on the International Space Station. NASA TV has announced coverage of the next ISS crew launch. And all of these, of course, happen in Russia now because we can't be bothered anymore. Uh, the next three crew members bound for the International Space Station are set to launch Wednesday, July 22nd. That's coming up real soon now. That's two days from now. NASA television will provide coverage of the launch and the crew's arrival at the orbiting laboratory less than six hours later. Kiel Lindgren, KO5MOS of NASA, Oleg Kononenko, RN3DX of Russian Federal Space Agency, and Kamiya Yui of the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, J-A-E-A, will launch from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan at 5.02 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. NASA TV coverage will begin at 4 p.m., also Eastern Daylight Time. Expedition 44 Commander Gennady Padalka, RN3DT of Roscomos, as well as Flight Engineer Scott Kelly of NASA and Mikhail Komienko, RN3BF of Roscomos will greet Lindgren, Kononenko, and Yui. 
NASA TV hatch opening coverage begins at 11.45 p.m. Wednesday. Together, the six crew members will continue the several hundred experiments in biology, biotechnology, physical science, and earth science currently underway and scheduled to take place aboard Humanity's only orbital outpost. For the full schedule of pre-launch, launch, and docking coverage, as well as NASA TV schedules and live streaming information, visit www.nasa.gov stroke NASA TV. Yeah. And there's also a link to crew member social media, which we will include in the show notes if you want to follow them via Twitter and so on and so forth. Probably Facebook as well. So that's very yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever watched uh, NASA TV? I'm I, sure you have. I have watched NASA TV, but it has been uh, some time since I saw it last. Yeah, every once in a while we'd uh, throw it on. and uh, I mean, don't expect like aliens and, you know, <laughs> lightsabers and stuff like that, but it's kind of <laughs> interesting to see. So a lot of times it's kind of dry or they're just not transmitting when they're sleeping or whatever, but uh, quite often they're uh, doing stuff and it's just interesting to watch them in real time yep. or you know, whatever real time that is. <laughs> Well, yes, of course, slightly slower since they're in orbit. So, um, yeah, I uh, highly... Sorry, that uh, was a relativity joke. (laughs) Anyway. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So if you're interested in NASA and all things spacey and astronauty, definitely check out the Astronauti. Okay. Check out astronauti.com. Astronauti.com. Right now. (laughs) I'm not sure you want to have the kids around when you find out what's on that site. Uh, anyway, NASA TV at nasa.gov stroke NASA TV. Check it out. All right, and it Cheryl said that... It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist? Oh, that's too bad. It has a, it has a Twitter. Somebody on Twitter is called Astronauti. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, we want to hear from you. That's right. We definitely want to hear from you. Is it, a, is, is it a woman or a man? It doesn't say. I didn't click on the link. I'm afraid. Yeah, I would be afraid, too. Before oh, we go, astronauti, it's a team. Sorry, I'm not looking. Before we go any further, I wanted to—I forgot to mention this last night. Amateur Radio Newsline is back up, posting Ooh. news again. Yeah, they were down for a while, but they are now back up. So, okay, I just did a Google search for astronauti. Do I want to know? No, not necessarily. I mean, nothing. Nothing. Breaking really. news. <laughs> Nothing really, like, untoward came up, but apparently there is an Urban Dictionary entry for astronauti, which is defined as when astronauts get freaky in space. (laughs) That's the mile-high club. That's like the 20-mile-high club. Yeah, or something. (laughs) I just thought that was amusing. There's there's actually quite a few things that come up when you look up astronauti, so anyway. That's another good episode title. And yes, the Amateur Radio Newsline <laughs> is back in business, and they have a recent episode with their new host, so that's very cool. And who is the new host? Do we know, or do we need to It does up? say. It's like KB2GUN or something like that. Okay. I can't, if I, if I actually remember that call sign, I'll be, I will be really... Uh, it's KD2GUT, which was close, but not quite. Don't know. Yeah, I'll look ki- for it. Kilo we'll Delta see. 2 Golf Uniform Tango is the new person. Or he's a nice guy. Or a girl. I assume it's a guy, though. Oh, or a girl. Guy, girl. The the, the hobby is predominated by gentlemen, so I'm going to assume it's a guy. Although they could be freshened up. That's true. So anyway, Cheryl says we did this story before, but I don't recall doing I, it. So. I said I, I had it in the ether bed, and apparently, I don't know that it ever made it to the air. Well, I'm not sure I think, it ever made I think it, it may have gotten clipped out somewhere 
All right. Well, since it, it's a girl, sorry, <laughs> breaking news. <laughs> it a is girl. a girl. Oh, how about Karen that? Karen Eve Murray. Hey, excellent. Har- horrible call sign. <laughs> <laughs> Katie Two Gut. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, cool, cool on you that it's a girl. Yeah, we're we're making a good impression. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> uh, well, their show is a lot more popular than ours, so I think it's uh, indeed, it's all right. Indeed. So, oh, that's very cool. I'm glad glad to hear. All right, so Cheryl, you can read this story that we may or may not have read before. I, you I was, get back to the etherpad. There yeah, you go. I was looking at a web page. At least you're Sorry. not muted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blah, blah. Whatever. Carry on. <laughs> so the ARRL files an FCC complaint about Home Depot RF lighting de- devices. And the story reads that the ARRL has filed a formal complaint with the FCC alleging that Home Depot, the home improvement chain, of course, has been illegally marketing certain RF ballast lighting devices in violation of the FCC Part 18 rules. In three cases, Home Depot sold non-consumer devices having far greater emission limits and, and intended for commercial use to consumers who specifically voiced an intention to use the devices in a residential setting. Although notices accompanying the store's display and with devices purchased indicated that they were for commercial use, the information did not specify that the devices could not be used for residential purposes. In the case of products that did not include such a notice, the information was not visible without opening the packaging. That, that did include such a notice. The information oh, was not visible. Excuse me. Well, it's kind of important. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Reinventing uh, the news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although otherwise legal non-consumer rated ballast... The subject of ARRL's complaint are not nearly as problematic as grow lights. They can still cause interference beyond what would normally be expected or easily addressed in a residential environment. If this activity is left unchecked, the commission will continue to note the deterioration in ambient noise levels and preclusive interfering signals for both AM broadcasters and amateur radio licensees in the entirety of the high-frequency bands, the league's complaint said. The ARRL asked the commission to take appropriate action with regard to the Home Depot and other retail outlets marketing such RF lighting devices without delay. All righty then. I know we talked about, um, sorry, caught, caught me eating. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Did they talk about who makes these? Um, I, missed that. I, I cut out a lot of the article, so I don't know how much of this they actually went into. But I know that they were talking about grow lights in this article, and we have mentioned that before with the proliferation of marijuana growing. That apparently it's impacting uh, amateur radio as well. And I, know, I, I think that's what was mentioned in the past, and I wasn't. That's the thing you were thinking yeah, of? Yeah, because it was it was directed at Home Depot. Right. So, <clears throat> But we have talked about grow lights before, but apparently this is a new thing. And I don't know that the article got super specific about what the product was. No, it doesn't seem to. Yeah. I'm cross-reading it right now. Although they mentioned FCC Part 18 requirements. That's important. So yeah, so anyway, <laughs> if you're if you're buying some highly RF intensive lighting from Home Depot, just be aware there could be problems. Yeah, don't grow weed. In your shop. <laughs> <laughs> Bottom unless, line, folks. Unless you live in Colorado, in which case, go for it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> just be aware that there might be some interference. So. That's right. Well, yeah, don't if you're trying to contact Russia, don't be growing the weed, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, if you live in a city, anyways, I mean, there's 
problems all around. You know, there's right. no reason to make it worse, of course, but yeah. there's always something. So I find part of the challenge is getting over that, although it could be annoying sometimes, but there's always a solution. Sometimes that solution means you have to move, but hey, <laughs> if it's worth putting up a good antenna, do it. All right. So moving on from amateur radio topics into our open source topics, let's uh, talk about this one. This is a product that I use all the time, and uh, I'm using it right now, in fact, as we record the episode. Audacity 2.1.1 open source audio editor adds scrubbing and seeking support. That's kind of cool. Uh, the first point update of the Audacity 2.1 software and open source audio editor for GNU slash Linux, Mac OS X, and Microsoft Windows, that's right, it works on all of them, uh, has recently been released and introduces new and anticipated features. According to the release notes, Audacity 2.1.1 adds support for seeking and scrubbing as well as backwards playback. So now you can uh, record your Ozzy Osbourne albums and play them backwards and hear all the satanic messages. <laughs> Cool. There's also support for finding a precise position in the audio file thanks to the latest updates to Quick Play. It is now possible to install plugins without having to restart the application, as well as to add and remove generators and effects from the menus. That's pretty cool. That I love, yeah. That's a small thing, but that's something really useful because the list is quite long. Yes, it is. Additionally, Audacity 2.1.1 introduces faster processing of edits when working with longer projects that have a duration of a few hours. And this is actually something that I came across last time, because after we got done recording episode 150 of this program, mm. I did not turn off Audacity. So when I got to the <laughs> to the point where I had to edit it, the file was 27 hours long. <laughs> Oh, cool. <laughs> so it did take a little while to get that fixed. Among other interesting features, 2.1.1 now includes presets in effects. The hard limiter effect has been replaced with the limiter, and the vocal <laughs> removal crossfade effect has been updated. Lots of cool updates in Audacity 2.1.1, which means I'm going to have to like actually upgrade everything to it now. They're trying to soften their image. They don't want a hard limiter anymore. That's just, that's just bad. <laughs> just their limiter is fine. We're just, nice. Yeah, right. But uh, good on Audacity. I've been using it for quite a while myself for various little projects. Uh, you know, it's simple, it's effective, and um, I think it's great that they um, have support on all platforms. It's just it works on everything, which is really cool. So you know, there's always the open source versus closed source. But uh, it's kind of nice to see that these guys are open to everyone yep. and they're free. That's true. Open and free. Gotta love it. All right, Pete. Let's let's uh, talk about something that's not quite so open and free. Or, well, is becoming open and free. Anyway. Now? Yes, now. Is, is it time? <laughs> it, 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 it's time. <laughs> Canonical and FSS come to open source licensing terms. Ooh. Sorry, it's just good I had to scroll down through the story, so that was my pathetic attempt at stalling. <laughs> Um, for years, Canonical and Ubuntu have been accused of playing fast and loose with Linux-related licenses. Really. Uh, now, Canonical and the FSF have reached a common understanding under U- or sorry, over Ubuntu licensing. Well, that's pretty cool. On July 15th, Canonical, with support from the Free Software Foundation, or the FSF, and the Software Freedom Conservancy, the SFC, I'm going to go crazy, have changed Ubuntu's licensing terms. The FSS states that Canonical's new intellectual property, IP, this is uh, getting crazy, (laughs) policies unequivocally comply with the terms of the GNU General Public License, or the GPL, (laughs) and other free software licenses. So uh, that's not a bad thing, is it? 
It is not Canonical, a bad thing. Sorry. It is not a bad thing. And welcome to acronym time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sit around, children. So, actually, uh, yeah. Canonical, uh, scrolling down again. Canonical has been regarded with suspicion by some Linux users since the day it forked from Debian over what, a decade ago already. Under Canonical's new IP rights policy, Canonical. Um, has what the FSS calls the Trump Clause. <laughs> I have the Trump Clause. Look at <laughs> that prevails in all situations. It's like, you know, the ace of spades, possibly covered by the policy. Uh, hopefully it's not the policy the, then. Not the Donald Trump Clause, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> most likely not. The FSS doesn't think that it's uh, a perfect solution. While the FSS, the uh, the FSF acknowledges that the first update emerging emerging from that process solves the most pressing issue with the policy. Its interference with users' rights under the GNU GPL and potentially other copyleft licenses covering individual works within Ubuntu, the policy remains problematic in ways. "Quote unquote." I like how they stay vague. It's problematic in, in ways. ways. It's Azure. too complicated to understand. <laughs> uh, the FSS would also like to see Canonical pledge that it only makes defensive use of patents and to not initiate litigation against other free software developers. Canonical and the FSF will continue to work towards Canonical and Ubuntu, quote, to literally allow use of their trademark and patents by community projects and not to interfere with the ex- the exercise of rights under any copyleft covering works within Ubuntu. Sources from ZDNet.com. You muffed up one word there. It's, it's, it's interesting how we're like screwing up the important words tonight. Uh, you said to literally allow, and the word is to liberally allow, which actually does ah, make a difference in this context. So It does, very much so. Um, yeah, Hard canonical is... Too fast. Let me... Uh, <laughs> Increase the font there. Okay. <laughs> Much better. You read in the old man font? Yeah. <laughs> Funny, that's what Seven. I've been doing while Pete was reading that. <laughs> there's, there's three letters per line. <laughs> three letters per line. <laughs> so you're so it's like an eye chart. You're like yeah, yeah. you're reading like the third line of an eye chart. <laughs> R-P-U-S-E-R. Well, anyway, this is definitely a step in the right direction, and there's a lot of interesting information in this article that we did not talk about, and there's some uh, some references to what Canonical did to the Linux Mint team when Mint was coming out about how they made them sign agreements not to use Ubuntu-specific things and blah, 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 blah. It was It's really crazy. So anyway, hopefully this is a step in the right direction for Canonical um, being compliant with the GPL and other copyleft licenses. Indeed. Indeed. All right. So let's see. Who wants to do the next one? Cheryl, you can do the next one. This one, uh, excuse me. This is one you dug up. So go for it. Woo-hoo. Okay. Yeah, I dug up most of yes, them. Yes, anyway. I, I know. Yes, you keep, <laughs> you keep pointing that out. Anyway. It's like we we understand that you do the show now. It's okay. No, no. I just throw stuff out there. You edit it and figure out what you want. Yeah, but see, we need a, a research assistant because they're the people who actually know what's going on, and so they're the people who actually run the joint. That's, that, right. that, that's my job on Sunday night. <laughs> and Monday go. morning, too. Yeah. Oh, well, no. Monday morning did not happen today. I've been cooking all day. So, anyway, the next story is in- introducing Pi Drive, a low power Raspberry Pi MSATA solid state disk. Raspberry Pi users are in search of a high capacity, low power consuming storage device for their Raspberry Pi B, A, and B V2 mini PC 
may be interested in the new Pi Drive that's been created by Bud Griffin. The Pi Drive expansion card has been created to eliminate the need for external hard drives and additional cables, transforming the Raspberry Pi system into a truly portable, large-capacity storage option. The Pi Drive expansion card has a low power requirement, allowing it to be plugged directly into one of the Raspberry Pi's USB ports. Because the Pi Drive expansion card has low power requirements, other peripherals such as external keyboard, wireless adapter, etc., are able to be used via the Pi's other available USB ports at the same time, a vast improvement over unattractive external powered USB hubs and cables sprawling all over a user's workspace. The Pi Drive Raspberry Pi solid state disk is now over on Kickstarter and available to back with pledges from $29 if you provide your own MSATA drive or 79 complete with 128 gig MSATA drive. And there's more information over at Kickstarter. You can go check out the Kickstarter. The link to that will be in the show notes. And there are currently 17 days left in that Kickstarter project. They are already funded. According to the information on the page, they were funded within three days of posting the Kickstarter. So that's excellent. $79 seems pretty reasonable to get something that uh, piggybacks as a daughter board onto your Raspberry Pi and includes a 120 gigabyte solid state drive. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, how can you go wrong for 79 bucks? Everybody should get in on that Kickstarter. I might even get in on that Kickstarter because I just bought a new Raspberry Pi and it would be really cool if it had its own storage because I wish I could show everyone a picture of underneath my desk in my ham shack right now where I had the Raspberry Pi and an external USB hub and all of the crazy connections that are that are connected to it because right now if I actually had to get in there and change something it would be a freaking nightmare. Uh, so one less cable is always good. One one less cable is always very good. Anyway, check that out. kickstarter.com, you can just look for Pi Drive, P I D R I V E and it comes up real simple. All right, so enough about that. Let's move on to the next story. And the next story is this. Alpine Linux 3.2.1 is out now. I hadn't actually ever heard of Alpine Linux until I saw this story, but it looks like it's pretty cool. I unfortunately did not get a chance to download and install it, but it's super small and it runs uh, best, or not best, but runs adequately on low-power machines. That's kind of what it's designed for. Alpine Linux is extremely lightweight, and it has a full installer package around 300 megabytes. That's it. It consumes a very low amount of computer resources. Ideally, it's a small and fast Linux operating system. It comes with its own package manager for the installation of new packages, known as APK. It uses the OpenRC init system, and the way packages are compiled for this distribution adds an extra layer of security to the OS. Alpine does not have a rich graphical installer like the majority of other Linux distributions, which is actually just fine as far as I'm concerned, because when I install Debian, I use the text one. It has a text-based installer, but it is pretty easy to use and install Alpine Linux. The new 3.2.1 release focuses on bug fixes and security hardening. It is a suitable operating system to run on your old computer having limited resources. The installers for new release are available in both 32 and 64-bit architectures. You can also try its minimum installation package, which is just 88 megabytes in size. That's the entire distro in 88 megabytes. So that's uh, pretty cool. Probably very useful for embedded systems as well as low-power systems. You can find out more about Alpine Linux at alpinelinux.org. 
Very cool. Check out Alpine Linux. I know I'm going to be checking it out because that sounds like a great ham shack distribution. Although Absolutely. That's exactly what I was thinking. It, it also kind of depends or it would make better use of a ham shack computer if they recompile all of the packages that are available for other distributions using their package manager. Otherwise, you're going to have to be doing a lot of source building. So we'll have to see how that works out. Yeah, but if you use it for more of a dedicated system, you set it up once and then you don't have to touch it again, theoretically. Theoretically. <laughs> theoretically, always. Right. Cool. All right. So There's that's, even a wiki for those of you who want to know. That's right. There's lots of great information out there about Alpine Linux. And, of course, it's uh, Major Rev 3, Minor Rev 2, Sub Rev 1. So they've been around for some time now. All right, moving on from our open source topics to Linux in the ham shack. Yay! Since that's yeah. the <laughs> All right. We need a soundbite for that one, too. The A? I, I had one, but I don't have enough room on my new soundboard for it. So. You have to pick and choose. Eh, I do have to pick and choose. Drop. I'll, I'll probably be working on that in the future. <laughs> I'm sure. So what I did for the Linux in the Hamshack section for this time is I picked some Android applications, since Android is based on Linux, and some people would call it Linux. I'm not sure I would call it Linux, but it's certainly based on Linux. I found some applications that people might be interested in using on Android, whether they're using it on a tablet or some other Android-based device or a smartphone or something like that. Here are a few that I picked that, that seemed interesting to me. The first one is Droid PSK, which does exactly what it sounds like. It's an application to decode and encode ham radio BPSK31 and BPSK63. It's a great tool for portable amateur radio operation. There is no extra hardware required for decoding since Droid PSK is able to decode the signal recorded from the smartphone or tablet microphone. Just hold your Android phone or tablet close to the speaker of your amateur radio transceiver or receiver, adjust the waterfall slider to the carrier frequency, and Droid PSK will start decoding. That's cool. Yep, it's very cool. In transmitting mode, characters can be entered using the keyboard, 20 macros are also available to store standard messages such as name and QTH and station info. A Bluetooth function is built in, but still in the experimental stage. So that seems pretty cool. Uh, the link to where you can find information about that application, it will be in the show notes. You can download it from the Google Play Store. It does cost money. It is $5.49 if you want to use Droid PSK. I believe there are some free PSK applications out there. But this one looked like it had the most features, so I, I threw it in for uh, discussion. Well, the ones that you pay, you know, it's not a whole lot of money, 549 The ones you pay a couple of bucks for, you tend to get a little bit extra so that you don't get with the free versions, usually even if it's just kind of, you know, ads not popping up. But uh, you get different functions, which are a little bit interesting. Five bucks is, you know, it's not that bad. And we're, we all know us ham radio operators are pretty cheap, so five bucks we're willing to dish out. Yeah, I think so. $5 is not too bad at all, uh, quite frankly, for a software application, especially one that seems to be as full-featured as this one. Uh, the next one I chose is Pocket RXTX. Now, this is a free app, which is really nice. It is ad-supported, so there will be some pop-up ads. However, it says that when you're actually uh, operating using Pocket RXTX, you do not get ads. It's only when you're in idle mode that you see the ads, so that's nice. Uh, it's an Android application used to remotely control several ham radios. Any cat-enabled transceiver using Bluetooth, USB serial, or with secure authentication over a network with an optional PC component is supported. There are multiple supported web SDR servers around the globe as well. The application will work on any Android device, including smartphones, tablets, and Google TV, 
with a minimum resolution of 320 by 240 and version 2.1 or higher of Android. 3.1 or higher of Android is required for USB support. I actually played around with this. I downloaded it onto my tablet, and it's very cool. I was able to connect to a bunch of different web SDR radios around the world. It has a super slick interface with like an actual thumb-controlled tuning knob, a nice waterfall display for finding signals, uh, and it's a super intuitive interface. And like I said, this one is free. It's easy to use. It did seem like there were some limitations as far as controlling your own rig. Some of the limitations surrounded the fact that you needed to use either Ham Radio Deluxe to interface with your radio, or you could interface directly with certain radios, like certain Yezus, I think the FT450R, and a few other ones. Uh, But not every radio was supported unless you were using HRD. So hopefully that is a limitation that will be... Uh, removed in the future but if you just want to tune around the world uh, using web sdrs you can certainly use it right out of the box as it exists that's a cool little app and i've already used that one and i will continue to use that one because it was really neat Uh, the next one i chose is aprs droid Uh, this is not a free app this one costs 4.95 coming out of the google play store it's this one's actually quite popular it, it is very popular which is probably why they're charging money for it It's an APRS application for amateur radio operators. It allows reporting your position as well as sending and receiving APRS messages. It also conveniently displays nearby stations as a list or on a map. Uh, To make full use of APRS Droid, you will need an APRS IS passcode for your call sign, which you can request in advance from aprsdroid.org slash passcode. Uh, It's open source software written in Scala and licensed under the GPL V2. Features include one-time or periodic reporting, messaging, station detailed information, movement tracking, Bluetooth TNC compatibility, status bar notifications, smart beaconing, AFSK decoding, and more. So you can see with all those features built in why it's very popular for those in the amateur radio community that use APRS. So if this is something you want to do with your smartphone or tablet, Definitely check that out. And for four ninety five, again, a real bargain for us cheap hands. Yeah, I use this one. It's actually really good. I enjoy it. And it's fun just to be able to beacon your position from wherever you are continuously and have your friends follow you. And, uh, yeah, I could see how it would be good for, like, group activities, too, for, you know, whatever your club might be into, uh, whether it be a fox hunt or things of that nature. Yep, absolutely. And one thing I noticed when I was looking for Android applications is that there are lots and lots and lots of them out there. So there's no shortage of finding stuff to to do in ham radio using your Android device. Yeah, absolutely. Good way to do it at work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The last one. Get by your network. Yep. Make make sure to you know set up your SSH tunnels so you can avoid your corporate firewall and all that, and have at it. Good. I've uh, requested the um, passcode, and it's really not a big deal. It comes pretty quick. All right. The last one I chose to uh, discuss for this evening is NKC Cluster, which is, again, a free Android application. Uh, Based on their information, it's the perfect radio amateur DX cluster companion for when you're up and about. With its small memory footprint, simple-to-navigate user interface, support for all popular DX cluster server software, quick and painless filtering, The application won't make your contacts for you, but it will make your job much easier. It's compatible with DX Spider, AR Cluster, DXNet, CC Cluster, and CLX nodes. 
It supports connecting to a user-defined DX cluster node, filtering DX spots per band of interest, convenient lookup of station's details on the web, azimuth and bearing calculation, sending new DX spots to a selected cluster node, and receiving cluster announcements. So that's pretty cool if you're out on the go or in a contest or something away from home and you have a small Android device and you want to look and see where all of those DX spots are coming from, you can use NKC Cluster. Now, I found lots of cluster software out there. This one actually looked like the most featureful and easiest one to use. And this one was actually free. Several of the other ones, which didn't support nearly the feature set as these, or as this one, were not free. They weren't expensive. They were only like 99 cents or a buck 99 or something like that. But for free, this one was really nice. And if you want more information about NKC Cluster, you can go to www.chonky.net, C-H-O-N-K-Y.net slash NKC Cluster. Uh, I checked this one out as well. I use the DXUSA.net, DX Cluster, and absolutely worked flawlessly. Great piece Good. of Android software. And that's basically all I had for Linux in the Ham Shack, our segment number three for tonight. So unless anyone has anything they want to ask or talk about in the chat room or other hosts, uh, we can probably move on to our music. But I'll, I'll uh, wait a moment or two and see if anyone has any questions or comments. No questions, sir. No questions? Okay. No comments. No questions, no comments. <laughs> I'll see if anyone's actually listening in the chat room. All right. Well, I'm not seeing anything in the chat room, so we'll go to music. And again, this one's from Cheryl. She found uh, more Woo-hoo. music. Hey. Well, I'm glad because we always get to pick the music, so it's good that Cheryl's. Uh, we're going to get to see a little bit of Cheryl's musical selections. Yeah. That's right. Excellent. <laughs> sure. Uh, and Cheryl actually wrote a little intro to it, which I modified. Uh, she says she picked this song because she loves orchestral metal, metal music, which bands like Trans-Siberian Orchestra and Diablo Swing Orchestra have mastered. Uh, this band also does a great job of doing orchestral metal, which is uh, pretty cool. <laughs> That's funny because the other two bands have mastered it. These guys do a great job. Well, compared to the guys Russ, Russ was the one who put that in. That's right. <laughs> I, I put the, it was my subtle nod to the fact that they're not quite as good as the other two. But. <laughs> But anyway, for those who might have missed it, that, that's right. Thanks for pointing that out, Pete. I really appreciate that. <laughs> so anyway, this is by a group called Countdown, and it's a song called Moonlight Sonata, which apparently is based on the classical piece Moonlight Sonata. Uh, the EP they put out is called Break Rise Blowing, and of course, we get this courtesy of Jamendo. A link to information about the band will be in the show notes. They are from France, and this was released back in May of 2011. So we'll give this a spin, Moonlight Sonata by Countdown.
So are you going to say something about the music? Uh, just, I really like it. I'm a Beethoven person, so... Wow, are you gonna make it? <laughs> I don't know. I might make it. Pete's <laughs> muted, so he's he's talking, but we can't hear him. <laughs> That's true. So, Pete, orchestral metal. What do you think? Nah, <laughs> I give it a thumbs down, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like that one, huh? <laughs> so, so you don't think they've mastered That's the not genre? My thing. Well, Pete may just not like it. Why are you? You you don't think they've horrible. mastered the genre? Oh, uh, you know they're close. <laughs> a little ways to go. They'll get there. Keep working hard. Save money. Keep keep working hard. Keep the spirits up. Live in your parents' yeah. basement for the next couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And, and one day you too like, can, can be. I like the extremes. You know, it goes from kind of light, fluffy, uh, to kind of this heavy kind of. Nah, 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 nah. Uh, it keeps your head moving. Yep. That's very true. So uh, it has its audience, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, say, so, and Cheryl is one of those people, and I drag Russ to uh, Trans Siberian. But I like TSO, and I didn't particularly like that track either. So, yeah, sorry, I liked it. Well, that's okay. You liked it, and that's good. So we're having a discussion. Yeah. We all agreed. We're having boring. an excellent discussion, and and other people were able to listen to that track and may like it much more than we do. So, or they go. may hate it a lot that's worse. Right. Too. <laughs> At least they've been introduced to it. I uh, see, but it's a it's a split audience because half our audience is uh, ham radio people, traditionally more conservative. Although the younger ones might have enjoyed that, and then the other half is the Linux hip kind of happening. So you kind of you know you can't please everyone all the time, right? Yeah. So good choice, music out of the box. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to our announcements and feedback, we only have a couple of quick announcements here. The first is that there's going to be a huge D star. <clears throat> <laughs> that's sexy yeah <laughs> that should be the title of the show what? how do you spell it now <laughs> may as well call it Tichniak. <laughs> oh I have that one hang on hang on uh, oh yep where is it there it is <laughs> uh, the classics never die <laughs> okay <laughs> Oh my god. All right. Sorry. That's okay. So anyway, moving on to announcements and feedback, we only have a couple of things for this segment. The first one is that there will be a huge editorial from the people who put this out. D Star QSO party coming in September. ICOM has announced preliminary details for the twenty fifteen D Star QSO party and annual contest I said QSO like twice. QSO party. An annual contest that promotes the ham radio hobby around the world through D-Star, digital smart technology for amateur radio. This year's global event will take place over three days from Friday, September 18th through Sunday, September 20th. I wonder if on September 19th, the entire world of D-Star will be talking like a pirate. Official rules and party details for the D-Star QSO party 2015 will be available at a later date posted on the ICOM Incorporated D-Star QSO party microsite. When do they start calling these microsites? I mentioned that. It's mentioned a lot in this article. www.icom.co.jp slash world slash DQP. Ian Lockyer, marketing manager of ICOM UK Limited, said the D-Star QSO party is not a competition to contact as many call signs as possible. The goal of the D-Star QSO party is to communicate with as many D-Star repeaters as possible throughout the world. D-Star, as we all know, or if you don't, you will soon, 
is an open standard digital communication protocol. It's open standard? Since when? That delivers clear digital voice and can transmit data such as call sign, short messages, and GPS information. For more information about DSTAR, visit www.dstaruk.co.uk. So, I wonder like, what they mean by open standard. I'm not sure what they mean by open standard because there's nothing open about the Ambi chip or the protocol that DSTAR uses. That's why or there is other standard. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what that means, but anyway. FreeDV, on the other hand, is an open digital voice standard. Yes. Maybe he was confused. <clears throat> so I really want to tune into this DSTAR QSO party on September 19th because I really want to hear all the ham radio operators talking like a pirate. Because uh, <laughs> as, as yeah. we know, September 19th is International Talk Like, like a, a Pirate, pirate Day. Day. So. <laughs> I've never done that. Uh, which pirate <laughs> shall I choose? There's so many good ones. I said International Talk Like a Pirate Day. Is it International? should be intergalactic. That's true. Well, that would be as presumptuous as the Miss Universe pageant. <laughs> exactly. Harsh. Very, oh, very pirates. harsh. <laughs> yes. I mean, pirates are boobs. Come on. Apparently, it is the international talk like a pirate day, September 19th. I'm there. Uh, all right. I'm there, too. Except I don't use D-Star. So I it's might might have a problem there. You can fix that by September 19th. Just do it on HF. It's the same thing. Just less digital. <laughs> well, okay. Sure. Uh, so anyway, check that out if you're into D-Star. And we also have this uh, website and YouTube channel that was mentioned to me by Matt Williams, who is also known as Lord Drakenblut, which is really cool because it has a lot of ham radio and Linux topics and a lot of video how-tos on how to do certain things, including stuff like using Jack for audio, connecting keyers, and all kinds of cool stuff. So if you want to check that out, it's the QRQCW YouTube channel. Just uh, go to YouTube and look for QRQCW, which is at actually www.youtube.com slash user slash QRQCW, so it's not actually that hard to find. And there's also a blog that goes along with the YouTube channel at QRQCWNet.ning.com. Uh, both of those places you can find all of those uh, cool videos and information that uh, they they're have posted there. And there's some really cool stuff there, so check it out. Especially if you're on the techie side and like to use Linux in your ham shack, lots of great information. So thanks, Lord D, or Matt, whichever you prefer to be called nowadays, for that information. Or That's Matt. Right. <laughs> or Matt. <yeah. laughs> Lord Drakenblut or Matt, <laughs> whichever one is more popular in your world, check that out. So, and finally, we have some feedback. Feedback from episode 150, our sesquicentennial episode that was uh, released last week. Yeah. Yay. And uh, both of these bits of feedback were comments from Johnny Kinsey, N4JEK. They were comments on the episode on the website. And he says, Help, it's episode 150, the movie review edition. Well, yes, it kind of turned into that, I think. Oh, and all the damn acronyms and allegories. However, if it were not for them, I would be asleep by now. Just use, And we, we've had other people say that we're the only... Uh, it was uh, N, was NE4RD? NE4RD, who says we're the only ham radio podcast that doesn't put him to sleep. So apparently this is true for other people as well. Just using the brain cells, Johnny says... Trying to figure out the acronyms is keeping me awake. Well, it was a fun episode, and why not digress? I think I will digress one day, but I digress. 
What? <laughs> what? No Cheryl recipe corner this time? Well, I hope you keep the Cheryl's recipe corner when LHS is known as LMT Linux in the movie theater. So it's coming. This, yeah, it's yeah, coming. It's coming. Madonna's going to star in Lady Gaga. Oh, cool. Madonna's going to play you. <laughs> and as a follow-up comment johnny says you know i'm just joking i love the show but maybe you can do some stuff on amateur radio and add a little linux to it i maybe. think you would have an awesome show if you did that but i have never done a podcast so i really don't know and i'm just thinking about what i like i know it's boring but hey i enjoy linux and amateur radio and to have my two favorite hobbies in one show well that's awesome so. Yeah, we digress once in a while. Yeah, every once in a while. At the same time, there's a lot of newbies, and like sometimes it's like you know their brain hurts, so we need to turn left at Albuquerque. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, if you turn left at Albuquerque, you wind up in Juarez. <laughs> <laughs> Juarez. I don't want to go there just by the sound of it. it scares me. Yeah, it scares a lot of people. <laughs> As it should. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Johnny, for the comments and. Uh, Thanks for being a listener through 150 of these crazy episodes that we do. Yeah, yeah. Johnny's there all the time. I mean, it's not the first time we've had feedback, so uh, that's cool. I like constructive criticism. And yeah, we digress a lot, but at the same time, we tend to screw around a bit to be a little more loose. And uh, too many podcasts, not too many, that's not true, but some podcasts tend to be more stiff. So this is our format, it seems. We try and have a little fun here while we're doing this thing. Sometimes more fun than others. Uh, that's right. And speaking of Cheryl's Recipe Corner, it's back. Yay. It was here last week. It, it was, it was here it was last week. It was a, yeah, it was a repeat recipe. So yep. it's not a repeat recipe this week. So All right, well, go for I it. I promise that. So anyway, the recipe I picked this week is because I was raised in a house where coffee was a daily drink, but it was just way too bitter for me to even try to stomach. A couple of years ago, well, actually, it's been more than a couple of years ago, about 15 years ago. A friend uh, dragged me into Starbucks and said, here, try this. And that started my uh, addiction. And it's because they put crack in it. They That's do. <laughs> I have I a problem. If they, crack, if they put crack in it, it'd be cheap. They put, like, cocaine or heroin. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's right. Yeah. She's now going to SA, Starbucks Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> and I stop at Starbucks after the meetings just for the heck of it. So, anyway, as I digress... That that started my addiction to, to coffee beverages. Then I tried without much luck to get Russ addicted. And finally, within the last year, he's decided that eh, maybe coffee's not so bad after all. So one of our favorite things at Starbucks is Frappuccinos. And they, of course, they have a zillion calories on them. But I found a recipe for homemade Frappuccinos that has ice and coffee and milk and this one is for a caramel one, which is our Ooh. favorite. And I so love it caramel. Has, yes, so it has caramel. That's why I love you guys. And white sugar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right now, Starbucks, at least in the U.S., and I'm assuming it's probably worldwide, has their um, fan favorites going. And there's like a cotton candy and a red velvet cake flavor and lemon bar. And Russ got the uh, cocoa... Caramel yeah, cocoa caramel cluster nut thingy, whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, it was pretty good. Pretty good, yep. And Cheryl got the cinnamon roll, which Yesterday. is also very good. Yeah. So basically, you just take some ice, brewed coffee, strong brewed coffee, it says, low-fat milk, sugar, and caramel syrup, throw it in a blender, mix it all up, poof, caramel frappuccino. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> why, why use low-fat milk? Why use low-fat milk? Yeah, I don't it, know. It, well, I'm just 
speaking from the diabetic standpoint here, if you're going to have sugar in it and caramel sauce, why mess yeah. with the low-fat milk? Right. It's sugarless It's sugarless caramel. Well, sure, of course it right. is, yeah. And instead of sugar, you use ketchup. Yeah, it's great. I don't know. I guess you could replace that's, the sugar with applesauce, isn't that? Don't they say you can, uh, no, no, no. Applesauce. You could even oil. use instead of milk. You could put you know soy milk or almond milk. I mean, like you say, the third of a cup of caramel kind of you know offsets that a little bit. <laughs> just a tiny little bit. <laughs> but I mean, the uh, soy milk and the uh, almond milk could get a different flavor, a different flavor too. So yeah, uh, that's very true. All right, so if you're into frozen coffee drinks, there you go. Give that one a try. If you happen to have like a third cup of caramel sauce just lying around the house. Yeah. Uh, I do. And some low-fat uh, milk. Cheaper than going to Starbucks, too. Or use fat milk and make it creamier. That's yeah, right. There you, go. Wow. there you go. All right, so that's Cheryl's recipe corner for this time, and now we're moving on to our social media roundup. So hit it. Excellent. <laughs> okay, so. I'm the king of bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we're playing dirty. <laughs> okay, let let me finish this so I can go finish dinner. Right. <laughs> okay, so this week for our donations and subscriptions, we had uh, Donald Gover as a yearly subscriber, Bill Arcan monthly, and Michael Swanson, which is monthly, and he is a new subscriber. Yay! Ooh, always love our new subscribers. Excellent. There you go. On Facebook, we had John Van Ingdom, Igdom, Ben Jesse Ledford, Renato Strauss, Ronnie Julian, Jesse N. Alexander, and Patrick Herman. I think I got everybody's names this week without screwing yeah, them you up. Yeah, you got some uh, easier names this week than we yeah, usually get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Google Plus was Steve Sainer and Paul Bates. On Twitter was at Dave underscore W8DSN. KC9ZMY and K0AZV. Nobody joined us on YouTube. Nobody signed up for the mailing list. Nobody bought anything. So and I'm, I'm done. Bummer. Bummer. That's a- that's vacation. Everybody's gone. Oh uh, yeah, that's very true. All right, folks. Well, that is it. That's 151 almost in the can. So Woo-hoo. we will uh, let Cheryl run away so she can start dinner or finish dinner actually what are you making i i am i fixed enchiladas a poblano corn chowder and poblano rice and everything is done except for the rice and the rice takes about 25 minutes to cook and what is poblano poblano is a pepper it's a it's a mild pepper like a green pepper it's it's got a little more spice to it It's somewhere between a green pepper and a jalapeno Oh, not okay. even close to oh, Well, no, it's, it's definitely milder, but it's yeah. a little bit of a punch. A little bit of punch. It, yeah, it yeah. has a tiny punch to it. So. All right, cool. But, right. you know, around around here, that Mexican restaurants have green rice, which is poblano rice. So I thought, eh, okay. what the heck? I'll make some. So. <laughs> All Excellent. Right. So with that, I'm going to let Pete go home, let Cheryl make some dinner, and I'll push the outro button and do our little outro. Yay. I'm already home. You're already here. Well, sleep, I think is what sleep. I meant. Yeah, sleep. I'm already sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) I see. That's how it goes. (laughs) All right. right. So anyway, uh, you can become an LHS ambassador. Yes, you can. You visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Ham Shack at a nearby LinuxCon or Ham Fest. Also, we love feedback. 
You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info. You can comment on an episode on the website. You can post on Google+, Facebook, or Twitter. Or you can leave a voicemail at one nine zero nine lhs show That's one nine zero nine five four seven seven four six nine. Check out our IRC channel. We're LHS Podcast on Freenode. And make sure to subscribe to our mailing list if you're not subscribed already. Because we send out stuff on there that you will never get anywhere else, including contest announcements you can buy show merchandise from coffee mugs to t-shirts at cafepress.com slash lhs podcast that helps out the show you can also help out the show by clicking on the sponsored ads on the right hand column of the home page you can listen to us live every other monday at eight o'clock central time which is tuesday oh 100 zulu time as i've recently discovered during the summer oh 200 during the winter yep it changes it does change it your toes. our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode are on the website check out lhspodcast.info for everything you ever wanted to know about the show thank you to all of our listeners live quasi live past present and future we appreciate each and every one of you so for cheryl who's sitting across from me about to go make dinner and for pete who's up in montreal canada who's about to go to bed I'm Russ, K5TUX, broadcasting from Studio 3D in Southwest Missouri. You've been listening to Episode 151 of Linux in the Hamshack, and we'll catch you all again in two weeks' time. Good night, everybody. Night. Good.